Hey, good morning, folks. Hey, th- this time of year when school's about to start, I- I've been out of school for a long time, but I still get butterflies. Maybe some of you guys get butterflies in your stomach. A whole bunch of years ago, 33 years ago exactly, I met my wife, Cindy, for the first time, and I had those same kind of butterflies in my stomach. Um, we met through mutual friends. It was Labor Day weekend 33 years ago this year. We met at Taste of Colorado, down, downtown Denver, and we met through some mutual friends. Um, as soon as I saw, saw Cindy, if, if there can be such a thing as love at first sight, I fell madly in love with my wife, my wife-to-be, Cindy. Um, and, and she has a different take on that first uh, encounter. <laughs> These are not her words. These are my words. She thought I was sort of a jerk. And, and, and I, I think probably in my defense, I was trying to be cool. And my family will attest to this. I have no coolness at all in my body. Um, but but I, shortly after I met Cindy, I said, this is the gal. This is the gal I want to marry. And I had a brother at the time who was engaged, um, Uncle Al. And I, and I said, Al, you've got to coach me up. This is, I've met the woman of my dreams. I've met the gal I want to marry. How, how do I do it? Coach me through it, because I, I want to pursue after this gal hard. And he said, well, send her flowers at work. And uh, so, really? And I said, it sounds kind of lame, but okay, just do it. Just do it. So I sent her flowers and a whole bunch of other stuff to pursue Cindy hard. And uh, I didn't want to lose her. I didn't want her to get away. And... and uh, um, this past June 20th, we celebrated 31 years of being together, being married. So, but only by the grace of God, as some of you guys know, by the grace of God. Um, hey, this morning, we're talking about um, not pursuing people, but pursuing God. And it's a, a biblical truth, a rubber hits the road truth. Uh, Pastor Patrick shared last week one of the other biblical truths that we're wrestling with in this series, um, you know, giving of ourselves. And all, all summer long, we've been talking about um, essentials, uh, foundations of our faith, things that we say are most important, most essential to us. And this series is more, how do we put those essentials um, into action? How do we, you know, rubber hits the road, how do we, how do we apply those to our lives? So this morning, um, well, Pastor Patrick talked last week, and some of these applied this week as well, but he talked about prayer, he talked about giving, and he talked about serving. This week, I'm going to talk about pursuing God and what that might look like for you and me. Um, But before I get too far into the message, I want to share with you that pursuing God, pursuing God with everything that we've got, it's not easy. It's not easy. And sometimes if you're like me, and maybe you can relate, it's one step forward and two steps back. Someone um, gave me this t-shirt a while back. It it says, be awesome. And uh, um, I I often attempt to be awesome, but I often, you know, swing and miss. Um, But we did a a book study last uh, last spring. called Love Does, and, and one of the mantras of the author was, love everybody always, and, and he kind of summarized his mission statement of life was to be, for God, to be awesome, and that's why this, this t-shirt, and it became one of my favorite t-shirts, until I, um, uh, this summer, I was cleaning out, we have this little fountain in our backyard, and it had some green slime in it, and my wife's I was going to clean it. My wife said, well, you should use Clorox. But if that's your favorite shirt, and it was my favorite shirt, you should take that off, put a shirt that you don't mind getting messed up on. And I said, okay. But I said, nah, I won't, I won't mess up. I won't mess up my shirt. But sure enough, I, uh, this Be Awesome t-shirt, I have this. This is what Clorox will do if you get it on your shirt. And, and I, I wear that in part um, because as we try to be awesome, we're, we're simultaneously saint and sinner. I want to show to you that I am not so awesome. And, and just as a model, as hopefully it will distract you because 
I will clearly show to you soon that I am not um, awesome, at least all the time. And, and every one of us, regardless of whether we have a clean t-shirt or not, we're all works in process. Amen to that? Um, we start there this morning. Um, but if you're taking notes, here, here's slide number one. I want to say God pursues us first. God pursues us first. And someone shared with me a long time ago, the arrow is always down. And I remember, um, I, I had never heard that expression before, but the arrow is always down. And I didn't know what that meant. What they taught me was that love doesn't start here and go up. The love comes from God the Father and comes down. He loves us first. The arrow is always down. In John 3.16, it's one of my favorite texts, but you know, many folks say the gospel, the entire Bible hinges on this, this one verse. For God so loved the world that he gave us his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. The arrow is always down always comes down. God's the Father, love for us, demonstrated in and through Jesus. The arrow is always down. Um, next thing, God is always waiting for us to turn to him, to turn to Jesus. We often use the word repentance, but we can get that word wrapped around the axle. Uh, we mess that up often. I want to share a couple of spiritual gifts of mine. This is one of my spiritual gifts. It is getting lost, physically getting lost. And when I've got the mountains, north-south mountains on the front range in my, in my view, I, I do okay. Um, but when they're not there, I, I, I sometimes, oftentimes, will get lost. Um, Cindy and I, when we were first married, we moved to uh, Atlanta, Georgia, or Marietta, really. Um, and, and I got turned around real easily there. And I remember one time I was just lost, and, and I remember, well, Marietta has this big chicken. It's sort of a, a, a landmark. Maybe some of you have seen this big chicken. It's a, it's, a, it's a restaurant, really. And I remember passing this big chicken. And then, then a little while later, I passed another big chicken, and it looked exactly like that big chicken. And soon I realized, shoot, that's the, that's the same big chicken. I'm going in circles. Um, God does pursue us first, yes, but he wants us to pursue him, turn to him, to stop going in circles. Jesus' words to us, the first red words in Mark's gospel. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God is at hand. The king is at hand. Repent, turn my way, and believe in the good news. And God may at times try to get our attention with thunder and lightning, but more times than not, it's a gentle whisper that says, not, way, not that way, not that way, not that way, this way, this way towards the light. And I borrow this from a devotion someone sent me this week. The promise, the promise of love and grace is this. Our worst day isn't bad enough, and our best day isn't good enough. Let me explain. Our, our, our worst day isn't bad enough to separate us from God's love, and our best day isn't good enough to earn God's love. We're invited on this journey because we're loved, we're loved, not because we earned it. God knows what knuckleheads we really are, what knucklehead I really am, and loves us all the more. The promise of love and grace, that's the promise of love and grace in our lives. And that's the good news. And this is from John's gospel. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. And here's the command. Here's the focus point. Here's our be awesome mission statement. Jesus is telling us, Jesus is telling his guys near the end of his life, write this down, remember this, this is important. A new command I give you, a new command. Love one another as I have loved you, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if, if, we have a choice, if you love one another. 
And if you're taking notes this morning, this text is at the top of the sermon notes. As I have loved you is underlined. I want you just to circle that because it's important. As I have loved you. Have loved. My English major wife tells me that have loved is present perfect tense used to express a past event that has ongoing and future has present and ongoing consequences. It means I loved you in the past, but it continues. It never stopped. The ball keeps rolling. It's an ongoing action. Loved you then, since the beginning of time, and I love you now and for always. God's pursuit of us first and his challenge to us, his command to us, you must, you must love one another. And Jesus is telling us here how to really pursue him. It's by loving on each other. And this is way more than a feeling. You can't command feelings. It's an action. Jesus is telling us clearly here, as we love one another, that's how folks will know we are followers, we are pursuers of God. From Peter, St. Pete, my favorite knucklehead disciple, I love him so because he's so real. He messes up so well. He probably had a T-shirt that had Be Awesome on it and then a Clorox stain on the bottom. Jesus says to Peter near... After the resurrection, after Easter, Peter, Pete, do you love me? Pete, do you love me? Pete, do you love me? Pete, do you really love me? And here's the directive. Here's the instruction manual. Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. And I love Peter because he's such a work in process, just like me. He shares with us later on in his life his wisdom learned by a lifetime of one step forward, two steps back. He tells us, he challenges us above all else, Above all else, church, love one another deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. God pursues us first. Secondly, we're created by God with a God-sized hole in our heart, and I believe that with all my heart. And I believe we're hardwired. It's in our DNA to pursue God. And then that nothing can fill that hole except God. We're hardwired to pursue God, and then that hole that we have can only be filled by God. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, says this, God cannot give us happiness. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. Don't we? We try to fill that hole with all kinds of stuff. I have my own list. You have yours. Stuff we tried to fill the hole with. Think about it. Things in the past that we thought would make us happy, things we pursued in the past. Man, if I could just have that or do that, my life would be way, way, way better. Then we do that thing or get that thing, and the happiness is short-lived at best, isn't it? We come up still feeling empty. There's still a hole. Psalmist writes, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. I... uh, my second career guy was an engineer before I became a pastor, and um, Cindy and I loaded up our son at the time, Jake, and we went to seminary, left Littleton, Colorado, um, went to seminary in Columbus, Ohio. It was 1997. And, and I, thought, um, I thought for some reason that by going to school, by getting educated, by, by living and breathing this stuff, this God stuff, it would fill the hole. Three years of graduate school, two years of internship, 400 hours in a, something called clinical pastoral education, CPE, working a summer in a trauma hospital, seeing the worst of the worst. I thought somewhere along the line, it would all click in and it would make sense. It would be nice and neat and tidy. But the more I got into following this God, 
the more things were not neat and tidy, and I learned that there was lots of gray as we pursue this, God. I was hoping by the end I would be able to stand up in front of a church and say, I got this, follow me this way towards the light. And I learned, I'm still learning, it's not that easy, this pursuing God. Mind the gap. I read somewhere not too long ago that there's a sign in the subways of London, a tube that reads, Mind the Gap. It's warning folks that to be careful, there's a gap between the platform and the train. Don't, don't, don't miss that. Step over the gap. Mind the gap, paying attention to the space where we are, where we're standing, and where we want to go. To me, it's a reminder to us all, until God calls us home, there's a gap. There will still be a, still be a hole, part of a hole. St. Paul said, now we see but a poor reflection, then we shall see face to face. Pursuing God, pursuing God is a process. Coming home is a process. St. Paul reminds us, be, be confident in this. Be confident in this, that God who began a good work in you and me will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. There will still be a hole, but God's working on us. Thirdly, what gets in the way of us pursuing God? What gets in the way of us pursuing God? And I want to say straight out, it's our stuff, our junk, our sin, my sin. Paul reminds us, for all have sinned, all of us, Mother Teresa, the Pope, me, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And later on, the wages of sin is death. What, what sin earns, what we earn by sinning, it's turning away from God, it's pushing away from God, it's distancing ourselves from God. It's the opposite of pursuing. And since the beginning of time, we've been messing this up. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, choosing their own way instead of God's way. And the significance of that story is not that it happened or when it happened, significance of that story is that it happens. God is telling us, go left, go left, go left. And we say, yeah, I know God. I hear you, but I'm going to try it my way. I'm going to go right. Looks okay from here. And the heavenly perspective is often 180 degrees different than the earthly perspective. What gets in the way of us pursuing God is our sin. But also what gets in the way of us pursuing God is our struggle with forgiveness. Other people's sin. And I'm bragging here again, another one of my spiritual gifts is I am really gifted at holding a grudge. And I'm not bragging about that. I'm just saying, I'm just trying to be honest. Hopefully I'm getting better at this forgiveness thing, but at times in my life, I've been like a Rottweiler on raw meat. I can hold on to something that someone has said to me or done to me, and I can play that tape over and over again in my head. And the words from the Lord's Prayer that we often say here at church, forgive us our sins. These are words from Jesus, teaching us to pray. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. I have learned, been learning, ongoing action, that when we fail to forgive, the forgiveness that God so freely gives to us it gets backed up like a clogged drain in the shower. And we may think we're clean and forgiven, but the dirty water is backing up. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And there's nothing easy about forgiving someone, even when they've asked for us, they've come to us and asked for forgiveness. But the harder one, the hardest one for me is when someone has hurt us and they don't even know about it, they don't even know to ask for forgiveness. What do we do with that one? Forgive us our sins as we have been forgiven. 
Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. The command is the same. This past week, Cindy and I, my wife and I, went to see an early viewing of the movie Unbroken, Path to Redemption. It's based on the second part of the book by Laura Hillenbrand, A True Story, Unbroken. The movie came out a couple years ago about the first part. Again, it's a true story about this guy, Louis Zimperini, who had been an Olympic athlete before World War II, gets captured during World War II. It's a horrific story, great story, powerful story, and then tortured in a, in a prisoner of war camp in Japan, tortured brutally by this guy by the name of the bird. But the most powerful scene in the movie, for, for me anyway, was when, after the war was over, Louis goes back to Japan to forgive his torturers. He tells them, he looks them in the eye and says, it's okay, I've forgiven you but how he struggled moving on until he was able to forgive them. I believe we're the same way. We struggle with moving on. We struggle with in our pursuit of God until we can forgive. And sometimes we just have to do it. We have to say, I forgive you. And God's word tells us sometimes we have to pray for our enemies. It's the way we can do it. What gets in the way of us pursuing God is our stuff and our struggle with forgiveness, but also our struggle with trusting. I've shared this story with some of you, um, the first church that I served in coming out of seminary was in Maryland, um, Damascus, Maryland. And there was um, a six-inch curb that surrounded the outside of the church. The, to enter the church, there was a six-inch curb, and it was before they had handicap rules and laws that required ramps. And this, this woman one day came to our church. She was very independent, but she was wheelchair-bound. She drove up to church in her van, got out of her van in her wheelchair, and then she could not enter into our church because of this six-inch curb. She couldn't enter into our church without help. And that six-inch curb might, might as well have been a 10-foot wall. She could not get past it. And I want to ask you guys, what are some of the six-inch walls that prevent folks from getting into this place? What are some of the six-inch curbs that prevent us folks from pursuing God? Just think about it. Just for a second, what are some of the six-inch curbs, real or imagined, that prevent folks from coming into this place, South Suburban Christian Church, or for that matter, any church? Will I be welcomed? Will there be folks that look like me? Everyone in there, and I've heard folks in church say this, everyone in there looks like they have their act together. I don't. I don't know nothing about nothing but I do have a God-sized hole in my heart that I can't seem to fill with anything. Will they accept me? Bumps, warts, and all. Is this place safe? Can I be vulnerable and real and still be accepted and loved there? This is the one I want to focus on. Can I trust them? Can I really trust them? Why do we struggle with trusting so? I believe the simple answer is this, because we've been burned before. I want to say that most of us are trusting in someone or something until we've been hurt or disappointed or folks have let us down when they said they would come through. We trust until we learn that we can't. I believe that's true in life. It's true of our relationships and our relationships. It's true here in church. And I've worked both sides. I've worked in the business world, in engineering and construction for a whole bunch of years, and I've worked in church as a pastor. And I've seen our ugly side, our sinful side in both places. But sometimes the ugliest, most hurtful stuff 
I've seen has been in the church. Stuff that wouldn't be tolerated in the secular world gets tolerated here sometimes. And I've been a part of that too. And I apologize to you guys and to God for my part in that. And I've struggled with this. Um, I've struggled with the reality of it. And a mentor of mine said, Joel, here's what you need to do. Trust God. Trust God. God will never let you down. And love people. They will let you down, but you still need to love them. Trust God. Love people. Love God's people. We did a service back here, a celebration of life service, a funeral for a long, a long time member, Betty Street. Uh, she was um, in her 90s and, and passed away through hospice care. Um, but it was a powerful service. And, and uh, uh, near the end of the service, we did communion as a part of that service. And one of Betty Street's grandsons came up to me at the end of communion and said, hey, can I say one more thing? And he had spoken eloquently about his grandma. And he asked me, can I say just one more thing? And I said, sure. And, and he, everyone was seated. He got up and he spoke to the family. The family was in those fr- front two rows. And he said, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, he said, guys, um, the church has divided our family. And it, it didn't go into specifics, and I knew some of the backstory, but it said, the church has divided our family. We need to come back to church. Gr- grandma, grandma was the glue that held our family together. Grandma was a church person. We need to come back here. There's something about here. This room, he showed the room. He said, there's something about here. The love that's filled in this room, we need, to, we need to focus on that, not the stuff that divides us. We need to focus on that. We need to come back to church. And Not his words, but I think he was saying, we need to come back to God. We need to pursue God. And after he sat down, I got up and I said, um, Paul was his name. I said, Paul, we mess up church a bunch. And maybe we get it close to right at a funeral, maybe because all the fluff is gone. And I apologize. We, we get it wrong. But when we love one another, as Jesus has loved us, when we love one another, maybe we get it close to being right. Church, this is for us, if we're honest. On our own, on our own, we will mess this church thing up. And how we work together through those messes with grace and love is how we'll move forward as a church. For us, for the guests that come in our doors, for our kids, for our grandkids, because that is the way God calls us to live, to love one another. St. Peter's words to us, and he knew about messing up. He said, above, above all else, love one, another, love one another deeply, because love covers over, love covers over a multitude of sins. How is God nudging us? How is God nudging me, loving us to do the right thing, to do church right, to do good church to stay steady. Last thing I want to do, last bullet point on your, on your sermon notes. How do we pursue God in a practical sense? The stuff Pastor Patrick talked about last week fits this week as well. He listed these three things, prayer and giving and serving. Prayer, um, whether we do it alone or corporately with each other. Come to me, all you who are burdened and weary, and I will give you rest. When I first became a pastor, people would ask me to pray for them, and I would, in all honesty, say, yes, I'll pray for you. And then I would forget, and I hated lying to folks. So, so now when folks come and say, will you pray for me, I, I will do it right there. I will pray right there. And I, I want to encourage you guys to do the same, because we'll forget. We'll forget to pray. Maybe you guys are better than me, but I, I often forget. And I'll, you'll see huddles around here. I've done it several times this morning. Just put my arm around somebody. Let's pray right here. Let's pray um, for whatever's going on. 
Um, one of my mentors uh, in my internship, um, Pastor Ray, taught me about praying over the phone. You know, it may seem weird at first, and I had never done it before, but Pastor Ray showed me, demonstrated to me the power of praying over the phone. Somebody calls us and says, hey, I'm struggling with this, or I need help with this. And I say, well, let's, let's hold on. Let's pray right here. I just counsel you not to, not to close your eyes if you're driving and you've got it on speakerphone. That can, can be really dangerous, and we might be doing way more than just praying for you. Um, Pastor Patrick talked about praying, and then he talked about giving. Giving is always a faith step. As Pastor Patrick told us, God doesn't want our stuff. God wants our hearts. We need to commit to, to giving regularly to the kingdom. As you are led, give to the kingdom. Not to this church, but to the kingdom. And then lastly, Pastor Patrick talked about serving. And I've always been sort of a, a serving junkie, if you will, because I, we bring our little Dixie cup of serving, and God power hoses us. Fire hose blesses us back um, with blessing. Serving is always moving the focus off of ourselves. In Jesus' words, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. How do we pursue God in a practical sense? Prayer, giving, serving. Then also connecting to God's word, to scripture. Jesus says to his disciples, he says to us, if, if you continue in my word, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you continue in my word, and that word in Greek is logos, and the Greek word here is so much more than the spoken word or the written word. From John's gospel, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then later on in John's gospel, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's talking about Jesus, the living the living word of God. If you continue in my word, if you continue to follow me, if you not only watch me, but you do me, you will be my disciples, my followers, my pursuers. Connecting to God's word, not just Bible study, but Bible doing. And I know reading the Bible can be intimidating and overwhelming, especially to folks um, if the Bible is new to you. Just want to lift up just a quick promotion starting in September, the first Sunday after Labor Day, we're going to launch an eight-week sermon series called The Good Book. And over those eight weeks through the end of October, we're going to go from Genesis to Revelation and break down the Bible into bite-sized chunks. Just ask you to stay tuned for for more about that, that sermon series. And we'll also be raising up classes and studies to do that as well, to dive deeper during the week. This will be a refresher for some, but I think for all of us, we'll be able to dive deeper into God's word, to pursue God's word, to pursue God in and through God's word. Another practical way of pursuing God is connecting to God's people. I know in my heart, I think when we do church close to being right, we do it together, loving on each other, helping each other through the ups and downs of of life's stuff, reminding each other to stay the course, to stay steady, even when it gets tough. On our own, On my own, I can go into some dark places. Even if we've committed our lives to Christ, we can drift, can't we? Even with the best of intentions, we go from trying to be awesome to to stains on our T-shirt. Drift happens in our pursuit of God. Drift happens. That's That's why we, I believe, need to stay connected to God's people. I believe God uses ordinary folks like you and me, knucklehead folks like you and me to help bring folks back to God, to help do course correction. Last story of the morning. Um, 
It's another funeral story, and I apologize for that as the care pastor. It's sort of the world I live in, and I, I love that world. Um, one of my favorite knucklehead um, friends um, was a part of this church, Ron Lind. Maybe some of you guys remember Ron Lind. Uh, two years ago, almost to the day, two years ago, August 14th, um, we, we did a funeral for Ron. He died way, way too young. Um, we did the service on a Sunday afternoon, 4 o'clock in this room, and the place was packed. Um, for folks who didn't know Ron, um, he was the official, unofficial greeter, hugger from God. I mean, he loved everybody, no exceptions. The, the week before he passed away, he passed away on a Tuesday. The Sunday before, I remember him hugging me, hugging everybody. He and I used to do this stupid thing. We would, we would touch fingers, like the E.T. thing. We would touch, and he was always a little shaky, and I would hold his finger, and we, we'd touch. But he touched so many people. And I remember um, kids in the, in that Sunday, he, he would knuckle, give them knuckles, fist bump, all these kids. He was just this amazing guy. And, and for folks who didn't know Ron, Ron was this retired old hippie guy, long gray hair. Um, near the end of his life, he had cut off his hair. He got, he, he got his hair cut for, um, for cancer folks, for love of locks or locks for love, um, so cancer folks could have wigs. But he was this amazing guy. And the, the most amazing thing was, and it was demonstrated here in his funeral service, his celebration of life service. We had, we had so many people here, we had to bring in more chairs. It, it was just so packed. And it was an amazing thing. There was just this powerful buzz in the room before the service. It was not like any celebration of life service that I've ever done. Uh, and it was the first one I had done here. I, I partnered with Pastor Daryl on it. Um, but there was a buzz. It had more of a rock concert feel than a service. It was truly a celebration of life service. And I know some of you were there, and it was, it was just powerful. Um, but Ron had, Ron had this way of, of erasing some of the lines, the divisions that sometimes we, we draw up in this life because folks don't look like us or dress like us. Um, the day that um, we celebrated Ron's life, uh, there were folks like you and me here. Um, there were folks, there were, he was a Harley Davidson guy. There were folks that, um, that came right from Sturgis. They drove their motorcycles, their Harleys, parked them right out here. And there were, I don't know how many bikes there were out there. Um, but his biker friends were here, tattoos, dressed with cut-off T-shirts. They, they were here to celebrate Ron's life. Ron was also into um, classic cars. All his classic car friends were here, parked out in the, in the, in the parking lot, and they came. We, we came to celebrate his life. It was just powerful. It was amazing. Um, it was a glimpse for me how heaven might look like someday. It was just powerful. Um, the week before the service, we met with Ron's family, his two adult sons and his wife, back there in the conference room, and we're laying out the service, and near the end of our planning, one of the sons who had not spoken a word the entire time says, you know, I think Dad would really like a song by either ZZ Top or Leonard Skinner. Um, and we said, um, sure, you pick. And they picked uh, Sweet Home Alabama. And if you guys were there, it was a song that we sent out, folks, and the chorus, the chorus of the song goes like this. Sweet home Alabama, where the skies are so blue. Sweet home Alabama, Lord, I'm coming home to you. We took this secular song that, um, that had gospel in it. I don't think the 
Um, I don't think Ron's son realized there was gospel in it, but there was gospel in it. And I think one of the things that Ron taught me was to be real and to be honest, to be awesome with Clorox stains and all. Um, at the end of many, um, or part of many of the funerals that I, I get to um, witness here, we'll, we'll, we'll share Psalm 23. And oftentimes in Psalm 23, I'll, I'll ask folks um, to echo the words back to me. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not want. But the, the verse I want to focus in on um, this morning is, is the last verse of Psalm 23. Uh, I'll ask you guys to repeat it back to me. And I will dwell in the house. And I will dwell in the house. got to say it a little more like you really want to dwell in the house. And I will dwell in the house. Of the, Lord forever. of the Lord forever. And oftentimes we'll incorporate the we part of that. And we will, and we will, and we will, we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's say it together that, that one last time together. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, I think um, if you're like me, you want to pursue God. With all your heart, you want to pursue God. But Sometimes if we're honest, if I'm honest, it's one step forward, two steps back, trying to be awesome, but we end up with Clorox stains on our shirt. Um, I just want to pray over us now. If you guys could just bow our heads. Um, Heavenly Father, um, your command to us is to love one another as, as you have loved us, is to love one another. That's how, the, that's how the world will know that we're followers of you, pursuers of you. And Lord, I acknowledge I try to be awesome, but I often swing and miss. Lord, I just pray over us, this gathered body this morning, as we're about ready to respond to, to your word. I, Lord, I just pray that we'll again turn towards you. That we'll pursue you, Lord, with maybe a new light. Lord, I just pray um, just that your spirit rest upon us this morning, this day. Lord, we pray this in your son Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen.